Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Hope you guys enjoyed Black History Month. It was from February 1st to March 1st, but we have so much Black excellence that we can't contain everything in just five weeks. Actually, 52 weeks wouldn't be enough. So we're going to continue this a little bit today. And today we are joined by Hope Newsom. Hope and I met each other on another panel. We were actually on another panel for another podcast that we did together. I believe it was the Access. To, I can't remember which one it was, actually. I don't remember what podcast it was, but I remember we did one together. But without further ado, Hope, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Emblem. How are you today? I'm doing great. Doing great. First, I wanted to just say, I love what you've been doing. And it was great meeting you on that show and just hearing the work that you're doing. I was just like, wow, this is just awesome. And so if you wouldn't mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about yourself, just you know, a little background, who you are and what you do. So I am an attorney that I've been in the financial services industry for the past 21 years. Prior to leaving undergrad, I had no idea that I would have this career in financial services. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer when I graduated from undergrad, but I knew that I needed a little bit of time before I went jumped right back into school. And I remember that Charles Schwab was on my campus and you could just sign up for an interview for a leadership and management training program they had. I signed up. I got the job and I moved. I moved to <laughs> Orlando. I started with Schwab. I got my Series 7. I got my Series 63. I worked on the client side for a little while and I didn't do a very good job at that, but that's okay. <laughs> and but, but I decided that it was time to continue my career and my path in legal, but decided that, hey, you know, I sort of like the financial services industry. And so while going to law school, I continued to work in the science area of financial services. And so I sort of landed there and I've been general counsel, CCO of different broker dealers and investment advisors and, and private equity and even a few investment companies. Public nice. You know, and you think about it when I'm just hearing your story, you think about, you know, working in finance. It's like, OK, so you work in finance, but you're on the legal side of finance, which is ultra important. And when we're talking about, we had an internship program and they were talking about different areas of finance. Not everybody's going to be an advisor, right? Mm -hmm. So what other things can people do? And so I think this is awesome to have you on and have you share that you don't have to be the one that's managing the money or sitting in front of people talking to them about those kind of things. There's plenty of things for you to do inside of this industry, outside of dealing with retail clients. Absolutely. And that spans internal at an organization and you know, taking an operation route, a strategy route, a supervision route, but also, and this is what I recently learned when I left being in-house to form my own law firm and compliance consulting firm is that I can actually be an entrepreneur as well. So I've enjoyed being on this different journey, but still within this industry that is so near and dear to my heart. Absolutely. Talk to us a little bit about, so you made that transition and you started your own business and tell us about your firm a little bit and why you decided to 
separate and go out on your own? Sure. So my firm is Artist LLP and it was founded, we founded Artist LLP back in 2019. I have a law partner, so we are a Black woman-owned law firm. We like to say that we're bringing the best of in-house with the best of big law. I left an in-house role where I was general counsel of an asset management and private equity firm. And my partner was a shareholder at an M100 global law firm. So we were really good friends. And we were both really at the point where we felt like we could take our talents and put them to use for building wealth for our family. So we spent many years helping others build their businesses. And we learned a lot from it. And we decided, hey, it's time. The other thing that we wanted to do is demonstrate that we could provide the same sophisticated level of attention, quality to detail, and work product to, you know, outside of this traditional space that you usually see in, which is in the, in the big law culture. And it's so almost like a boutique, right? Like we have these big yeah. stores. I always like to call, you know, I call my firm a boutique. And it sounds like you guys have like a boutique law firm. Now, boutique is small and like sophisticated, right? Because it's not just a small, it's not just a small store, it's boutique, it's different, right? So having a boutique law firm, are you guys totally internet-based or you guys, where are you at now, actually? So we're actually in Windermere, Florida, which is right outside of Orlando, Florida. So we're in the central Florida area. Our practice areas, we practice corporate law, securities law, financial services law, obviously for me. We do private fund work, and my partner focuses on public finance and corporate. A lot of our work is at the federal level where we're looking at securities laws. So our practice is a little bit different when it comes to just being able to work with clients across the United States, just given the type of practice that we have. But we are in Florida and located here. And like everyone right now, we're virtual. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Okay, okay. And I was just curious about that. And I know that. I always think about this, and this is just something that just came up now. And I know you're an attorney. You talked about undergrad. You talked about starting at Charles Schwab and all of that. And before you actually started the business, I'm sure there was some decisions that had to be made. But being a Black female attorney, how has that, and this is just something that I just felt this just to ask, what challenges have come with that? You know, there are a number of challenges that come with it. One of which, and, and I'm sure there are others out here that can identify with this, is this requirement to go above and beyond proving your analysis and your experience compared to others. And I like to say that Black women in particular get the double tax for that. So I've been talked over, not given credit, turned away, not allowed in the room, you know, many times because of that. But I think what I've learned from that is that that means that we're already prepared to to rise above and to strive for excellence because we already know we're going to be questioned. Mm-hmm. So it, it sets the stage that we don't need to go back and double check because we checked and checked and checked, you know, and really called out the answer because we know that not only do we have to solve your problem, but now we have to convince you to trust us and to believe us. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason why I wanted to bring that up, because I think that is something that's often overlooked. Like I think about the struggles that, you know, we talk about black people in general, but 
I think even amongst black people, when you separate between men and women, there's some things that black women go to that are unique, especially to them, that black men might not have to deal with as much. And we know, you know, just on every aspect, just between men and women, there's always a little difference. So also this month is woman's month. So we want to make sure we get some of that in there too. And I think like, when I think about that, one of the things that you love to talk about is developing relationships. So as you're going through this, I think like relationships have to be critically important in the success of your firm, right? Absolutely. You know, relationships have been important to me my entire career. You know, I I think one of the ways that I've been able to overcome, you know, the sometimes position that some people take when they're not willing or able to trust or take my advice, the way that I've been able to overcome that many times is relationship-based. And I've spent also a good portion of my career in compliance. And so I'm sure you can understand being in financial services that there's always this sort of rub between compliance and sales. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I focused on heavily when I was in a compliance role was to focus on the relationship. I knew as a compliance officer and as an attorney that if we have a relationship and you come to me with a problem and I come with a solution that is not exactly the way you want, but you trust me and we have a relationship, you're more likely to believe me and take my direction than if we don't have a relationship. That relationship is the foundation of working together, showing that we're collaborative and that we're partners in that. And I think that is so important for you to say that, because when you think about, I think there's certain jobs, right? If you're dealing with law, legal stuff, if you're an accountant, you know, people get worried, like they just yeah. don't want to have like regular conversation with you. I know, especially in compliance and the financial services, I think about our compliance guy that we use, Scott Gill. Shout out to you, Scott, if you're listening. But yeah, he's one of the guys like you see Scott calling and it's like, uh, do yes. I want to answer you? Know, what does he want? You know, <laughs> it's the fear of what they're saying <laughs> on the other end. Yes. <laughs> and so I can see how that could be even magnified. Like this is just talking about, you know, financial stuff. But when you talk to an attorney, it's always kind of crazy. So what are some of the things that you do in this relationship building process as you begin to do that? Kind of take down those barriers and ease the anxiety that we all have when we speak to someone. You know, one of the things that I've always done and I still continue to do now that I'm sort of in the law firm environment is I think it's important for people to listen to what's being said to them and asking questions when the time is right. And then the final thing I would say, and this is probably the most important when you're in a position of providing guidance to an individual or a department. They want to know that you understand their business. So I made it a practice to understand, okay, what are your annual sales goals? What's your focus this year? You know, what's your five-year plan? And when I was informed, that helped better seal the relationship also because it was looking beyond just what the policies and procedures say, looking beyond what the rules and regulations say, but looking first at what is the purpose of the business that you're in, what are you trying to achieve, and then applying those policies and procedures and those rules and regulations and working within that framework while honoring what the business goal is. You've made some great points about always making sure that you stay in line with what the business goals are. I think that 
businesses are like they're their own entities, right? They're separate persons, they're beings, and they will take everything that you give them, right? Of your time, of your attention, of your money, of your, you know what I mean? They'll take everything. So when you're asking questions like this about what are you trying to do? I think it's really important for business owners to have a crystal clear idea of what the business is going to grow into in five years, because if not, you can either drive your business or ride your business. And, yeah. and what I mean is like when you have an intention and you know what you're doing, you can drive straight to that location that you're trying to do because you know what the destination that you're trying to get to is. The problem that we see a lot of people is they're riding their business and they don't even point it in the direction, just riding and see wherever it takes them. And next thing you know, they're like, well, I think I need to hire because someone said it's good to hire. And I think I need to do this because someone said it's good to do that. But if you don't have a team, right? And I think, I'm not sure if I heard you say this, but your team with the attorney and accountant and an advisor, like that's your team to take care of you, right? As an advisor or as legal counsel, if you will, when is the best time for us to start seeking that legal counsel? So, okay, first, I just want to say I love the concept of drive your business, not ride your business. So I'm taking that. That's my <laughs> takeaway for the day. So thank you for that, Margaret. Absolutely. I certainly know what that feels like after the last two years. But to answer your question, first of all, I'm so glad you asked the question because we do work with quite a few startups. And some of the things that I've noticed is that I would like it to be more widely known that at some point, every business needs an attorney. And I think that part of it is just the unknown, the cost, unknown of how do we work together? How do you not get into a business so much that I don't lose control? But I think that everyone from the outset needs to know that you'll need an attorney as your business grows. It doesn't mean that day one or even 90 days in that you do, but you do need to determine when is your time because you can spend more money correcting things or reacting to something than being proactive. So I think that anyone that's thinking about starting a business should include some budget of legal fees in their budget. It doesn't mean that you have to spend them immediately, but you need to know at what point should you spend those dollars. And, you know, I also think that if you're in a business where you think you'll be looking to raise capital or to get investors, you know, anticipating that those investors, they're going to look at your core. So, you know, a lot of times some individuals may, when they realize they're at the point where, okay, I'm ready to bring investor dollars in, oh, for my core, I need to stop and get my core together. But then you're competing with the need to get your core together and spend these dollars, right, to get it done. Meanwhile, you know, that slows down the process of bringing in the capital that you need to continue your business. So I think finding a partner or counsel that you can just start to develop a relationship with. I do know that there are a lot of firms now that are providing a ton of resources just widely available for entrepreneurs to review and to consider and look at, um, which everyone can go out and, you know, once they determine what type of entity they want to form, they can go to their secretary of state. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, if you have partners, 
what are the partners? What are you guys agreeing to? Like, how are you going to work together? What if one partner wants to exit? These are some of the things that, you know, it's kind of the, the lawyer's job to think about all the what ifs or all the bad scenarios. And that's why bringing them in before the bad scenarios happen is pretty good. I think like when you talked about like raising capital and having a bigger business, but I want to tell people how important it is even for the small business owners, for the solo entrepreneurs to have the infrastructure set up correctly on your firm. Because as you grow, it's easier to do it in the beginning than it is to fix it later. And so that is like when we're looking at those solopreneurs or those people that are just starting businesses, I feel like those are the people that definitely need to seek that counsel before you start something. One of the things that I did, and I go back to that relationship that you were talking about earlier. So I had an attorney and a CPA that I had worked with before they even did my taxes. I think my CPA, the CPA I was using then did my taxes one time and we had a really good conversation. You know, we talked about all kinds of stuff. And then there was an attorney that I found. And so in 2016 is when I was get everything done. I said, hey, man, you guys want to you know, go out and have a drink? And they're like, yeah, for, you know, pre-COVID. <laughs> so, you, so we go out and have a drink. And we went out, had some food and drinks and stuff. And they told me everything that I needed to do yes. for my business. They, you know, whether I should be an LLC, whether I should be an S-Corp. They told me how to set up my bank information. They told me, you know, how to separate everything. So I got QuickBooks. Uh, we formed an S-Corp. We got QuickBooks. We started to run this as a business. And the crazy thing is like, and I'm still making these jumps in business because now we hired, a, you know, we have a full-time CPA, not just doing our taxes. She comes in and texts our stuff throughout the years. And it's one of those things that I think we've found so much value in and we're so scared to do in the beginning. But I'm saying this with hope, you business owner, potential business owner, future entrepreneur, thinking about doing something, it's crossed your mind, definitely seek counsel out because I think it just gives you a peace of mind knowing that you've talked to someone that's an expert in that field. Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I'm just, this is just us talking. So, Yeah, no, I do have something to add. And, but I also wanted to support what you said. You're right. You need to seek counsel. You need a CPA. You need a bookkeeper. I mean, you need to know that your business is growing your business. And so you can't have multiple hats on and expect to see the growth that you likely want. That's another way to think about it. And I also think that tapping before you, you know, make that move, tapping your network is key. I know I've had people reach out to me and just, you know, like you said, like a two hour dinner. And can blow your mind and just make the difference. And then when you get to the next stage, then you may need guidance that is more specific to like your particular entity at that time and where you are. But tapping into your network first, you know, and putting together your plan and getting the counsel of those those around you, I think is critical. Absolutely. And there's people out there that want to talk to you. Like there's people in your network that want to help you. I promise you, if it's yeah. your network yeah. and there's people in it that want to see you succeed. So use that resource. I love what you're saying. Thank you. <laughs> you also talk about setting boundaries, having order and having a structure. So talk to us a little bit about that. So that sort of is, you know, what I think about when I look at my personal life, but then also my practice as well you know, having structure, having order, having boundaries. So boundaries from a personal perspective of knowing when I need to take a break and when, you know, I need to have family time 
boundaries from a, a, a practice perspective, knowing that turn off my phone right now, get into the document that I need to get into without distraction, order, what's my plan? What are my personal goals? What are my goals with respect to my particular practice? And then what are my goals with respect to how I want to grow this business? And then structure is just executing on that work and making sure there's a place for everything and everything has a place. Yeah, I'm feeling that. And with the set boundaries, we actually just did a podcast. I was on another show and we were talking about these boundaries. Talk to us about how those boundaries have helped you. Give us some boundaries that you set and you feel comfortable sharing a boundary that you've set that's really, really added value to your life. So this is just one recent change that I made in 2021. I started to block time on my calendar that is non-negotiable for working time. What? Stop that. Hope you did some calendar blocking. You mean you carved out some time? where it was only going to be stuff that you're going to work on. Okay, talk to us about that. How is that working out? That is working very well. Now, it is a practice to not allow someone to say, you know, can I do a quick call with you? But I've seen just in the last couple of weeks, you know, since the beginning of January, just my productivity and my planning and structure grow. I'm knowing that Tuesday I may have, back-to-back calls all day. But boy, when Wednesday comes, there's your space to work and to plan and to get deliverables out. That's my number one. I firmly believe in calendar blocking. I did try last year. Some people can calendar block every day, all day. That's difficult for me because in my practice, my clients want me to pick up the phone. So if they call, I need to be responsive. So Planning out the entire day is a little tough for me, but I found the two days a week where I set four hours block of time, that's when I'm most productive. And then I'm a morning person, so I usually get up pretty early before anyone is sending emails or calling me. I think it's so important. I think that's called like your circadian rhythm, I think, like when you sleep and when you wake up and knowing what type of stuff you, I don't know where that came from. It just popped into my head. But I think that's what it's called. I think you're right. right. It's so important to understand what your rhythm is. And if you know you're a morning person and you can dictate how you do things in the morning, it's so impressive to know that you understand that. I love it because it only sets you up for success. This is something that I just found out. I was like, you know, over the last two years, I found out I'm actually a morning person. I thought I didn't like to get up in the morning. I've tried getting up in the morning. I tried getting up in another time. And then the other thing that we did this year, which to add to what you're saying, is set block time. On Mondays, we do not meet with clients, period. No Monday meetings on clients. And it's changed my life. Like, it's, like because there's yeah. nothing like on Sunday, knowing that you have a meeting on Monday and it's like, I can't really enjoy this Sunday because there's work I have to do. Because there's work you have to do. And so now we move that day and it was able to help me with the boundaries because now on Sunday, that can really be a family day. I don't have to worry about anything because I know Monday is going to be me getting together things. And is there any work that needs to be done? It's done on Mondays. So I agree with you 100% in setting those boundaries and getting that dialed in. That makes so much sense. Another takeaway for me, I love the Monday option because you're right. That Sunday night, you can avoid that Sunday night feeling of anxiety because you know that, oh boy, I've got to call at 9 a.m. Well, I have to get ready for it. So with Sunday, I need to get ready now. So I appreciate that. That's good. That's good guidance. 
we're all on the journey. We're all on the journey. I think, you know, picking up stuff from everybody, I think it's awesome. So one of the things that I wanted to make sure we had, so digging into the details, what I seen that, and I'm thinking about it for an attorney, the digging the details is probably different, but let's talk about that. Dig into the details. What does that mean to you? So that means to me that most people don't dig into the details. And when you're thinking about what is going, you know, how you can distinguish yourself from the competition, that's it. And, you know, it can be how personally, how I set the dinner table. If we're having folks over, well, it's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) But it can just be the detail that we put into that, or it can be the detail of giving a client a deliverable and they can see that one example is I have a client that refers to their customers, you know, with a different name. So if I draft a document for them, I want to go further and use their brand language, you know, and not just give them something that really isn't personal to them and their particular issue. It can be digging in the details can be a probing questions. Okay, well, why is it that you want, you know, to set up your company this way? Why is this particular issue or matter important to you? And then when we're putting together a solution and we're discussing it with you, then digging back into the details with you to explain to you why we or saying and, and advising you to do this or the best. So I think that that's how Virtus will continue to distinguish itself from the competition by just continuing to believe that details are as soon as I hear details, all I can think is the devil's in the details, the devil's in the details. That's all that keeps going in my head, yeah, the devil's yeah. in the details. So if, if we can have someone yeah. be able to decode those details for us, then we'd be able yeah. to get the devil out of them, right? I mean, that's, that's just what I'm thinking, because when you're talking about those little things, they make a big deal. Man, this is just awesome. I'm thinking about all of the things and, and then wanted to congratulate. You said uh, Virtus turned two, right? You guys yes, been in business they for two just years. turned two on February 9th. Yes, yes. Congratulations. So two years in business, and that is absolutely amazing. You know, made it through the pandemic and probably did pretty well through the pandemic. Most businesses that were able to adjust to virtual and made a, a good transition. So as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. And what I wanted to ask you, especially since we're talking about Black history, I had a couple of things, but I want to ask you this first. What does Black history mean to you? Oh, it's my culture. That's what it means to me. So I am from Chicago and... My family migrated from North Carolina to Chicago. Half of us stayed, you know, in North Carolina and half of us went to Chicago. And I don't know a lot about where my family came from before North Carolina. You know, that's just the residual effects of, you know, the and I recognize that there are a lot of people in the Black culture that have, they're able to identify with their families from Jamaica or the Bahamas or the Caribbean. And there's a culture, right, that comes with that. And, you know, and there's this sort of something that you can lean on and see. And so I've always admired that. But because that's not my background, or at least I don't know that, like, you know, that's not, I don't have that to identify. So all I have is Black history and then the family history that I do. 
So we, my family takes it very seriously, keeping up with our family tree and everything. And that my husband's side, they do a great job of that as well. But that's what, you know, Black history means to me. And if I have time, I'll tell you a quick story. Yeah, I remember being in law school and I was taking an ethics course. And one of the exercises for the particular day was, and the point of the exercise was to show where everyone is from, where, you know, what their tape is. And we went around the class and Germany, Italy, Jamaica, you know, everyone had, you know, a different country that they could, you know, point back to. And just as an adult in that moment, that's when Black history really clicked for me, is that I don't have this unique answer, but what I do have is this history and this pride with respect to the, all the contributions that we've made to this country. Absolutely. 100, 200, 500%. We agree with that. And I think not only the Black experience culturally is fractured, and this is what I mean by that. Like, we don't have a language. We don't have a common food except for the slave food that we had that yeah. we made ours. And so when you talk about Black culture or the lack thereof, because my wife is Mexican, so I see a lot of the cultural things that they get to do. I mean, Mexico is not far from here. So like, it's really, yeah. I'm in California and I get to see a lot of the family cultural traditions and stuff that they have across a lot of, you know, a large group of people. Now we have some stuff that we have in our Black culture. Absolutely. We have some things. But there's certain things, language is one of them that I really, really wish we had, yeah. you know, some type of dialect that we spoke amongst ourselves, because that itself is something incredible. Yeah, I'm feeling that. And I love the fact that you said your husband and his family do the family tree and then your family has done it as well. And I think that's going to give so much culture to your children. It's going to yes. give so much, yes. you know, so much rich history. Yes, I love what you said when you said fractured. You know, that's the best way to describe it. But what we now have a responsibility to do is start to mend it together. And we do that by what we can control. We can control <laughs> archiving and memorializing the history that we're still creating today. Absolutely. I agree with that. As we're wrapping this up, Hope One, I just want to tell you, thanks for coming on to the show. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. But I wanted to get two things. One, what are your social media handles so people can get more of Hope? What social medias are you active on and what are those handles? Okay, so I, so Virtus is at, at Law Virtus on Twitter, um, at spell 0599 on Twitter, and also the same on Instagram. And then I'm on LinkedIn as Hope L. Newsom. Okay, awesome. So we'll get all of that in the show notes so people get that. And then when we post our stuff on Twitter, we'll be sure to tag you and all of that. One last question for you. If you had one piece of advice, one last parting gift for the listeners, what would that be? This goes back to relationships. All disappointment is controlled by expectations. So communicate. You can't be the individual that is afraid to speak up and to say what is. And I think it also brings honor and trust. I love it. That's it. I love it. Hope, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And I love all the work you're doing. We're going to continue to follow you and maybe we'll have to do some other work. We should be doing some work together. So yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I love it. Thanks for having me. Hope, man, I'm telling you, I don't want to end it. I want to just keep going. There's some questions that I'm like, okay, I got to stop. I got to stop. 
like I said, thank you for coming on. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this and we'll have to continue to talk and see if there's some other ways we can work together. As everyone knows, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.